Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Interesting. I don't know that, man, that, I, I've never really contemplated Wheeler getting money commensurate to what Patrick Corbin signed for, though. Do you think it's going to be close? I don't, I don't think he gets that. Okay. I mean, you look at the body of work. I don't know. I mean, Keith documented it, but look, here's why he might. <clears throat> I'll throw this in here. Great off-speed stuff. And if you look at what he did the second half of the year, he was dynamic. And with everybody looking at spin rates, those are the big things that really jumped out for you. You're not going to see spin right here, but he's 97, 98 miles an hour on the heater. Power plays, folks, and everybody's looking for that power arm. Is he Garrett Cole? No. Is he that tier? Uh-uh. But the next tier down, he's going to be there. And I think also you look at Joel brought this great point up, Joel, and I'll throw it to you, that there will be competition. You know, And, and unlike Nolan Arenado, who was not out on the market, this kid's on the market. And so because of that, he's going to get paid. I don't know if it's Patrick Corbin, but he will get paid. So in the post recently, I wrote a column that he falls someplace between Nathan Avaldi, four years at 68, and Patrick Corbin, who's 140. And I realized the wide swath there. I think it's going to fall right in the middle. And I, the reason I picked those two guys, all three, Tommy John, all three have had kind of like good year and, and, and years broken up by injury and injury concern, good platform years, and then going out into free agency, and everyone projected better stuff to come, right? Part of Patrick Corbin's contract is not only that he had a strong platform year, but the belief that with his spin rate and left-handed, et cetera, that there was more to come. I think Wheeler's looking at that, and if you kind of think of those two as his comps, where does it fall in between? There's four at 68, there's six at 140. To me, it's about five at 100, 110 is where he's going to come in because people believe there's a lot more there, and also that he played with a bad defense with the Mets, and if you put him with a good defense, what happens?
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on Sunday, November the 24th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, and you can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And the preferred way to get the podcast is through Apple Podcasts. Check it out. Leave me a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome in, everybody. Of course, you heard that clip at the beginning, and that's the way we're going to start off here. As uh, you heard MLB Network break down Zach Wheeler's free agency because quite simply now we're into the hot stove uh, portion of our show. I know we took a, a kind of a week off from the hot stove last week and looked back at DeGrom and Pete Alonzo, did a little history there with the 99 Mets and got really good feedback on the show and I appreciate it. And, and I think now uh, Thanksgiving week, of course, uh, last show before the Thanksgiving holiday, I don't know how much activity we're going to get this week, although you're starting to see the hot stove warm up a little bit with Yasmani Grandel and uh, the White Sox signing extensions to Jose Abreu and uh, basically the Braves signing every reliever that they could possibly can. So it is heating up, but I'm not sure you're going to get a lot of news. So uh, this will probably be our last show before the holidays, short of something drastic happening, and and I'm questioning whether that's the case. So... uh, We'll, we'll get into the hot stove here, and, and we're going to kick it off over there. Joining me a little later, Howie Carpin, new to the show. Howie is a, a longtime official scorer, Mets and Yankees, Sirius XM Update anchor, also does a column weekly at uh, New York Sports Day, nysportsday.com. Uh, new to the show, wanted to get a new voice, and I know Howie had some things to say about Grandel signing and the Mets uh, putting Lugo potentially in the rotation, so a lot to unpack there. Now, a couple of weeks ago during the GM meetings, Brody Van Wagenen outlined really, and he doesn't give you much, and even what you see with this coaching search with the bench coach and the pitching coach and all that other stuff, the Mets aren't really leaking a ton. You'll get some leaks, you'll get names, but you really don't get a feel of what they're looking for and what they're doing. Brody throws you very little, and he tries to keep things very close to the vest, which I think long time here... It, it was it was crazy how you know everybody knew in the Mets business what was going on and and I think that's great for this podcast that's great for the media it's not good to manage an organization things are going to get out but you got to manage it to a reasonable level and I think at times it even under Sandy Alderson was unreasonable especially after he stepped down and they had three GMs it was you know pretty much everything was out there so what you do know is this is that the Mets are looking for bullpen help that's not a big secret. They are looking, and this was a little surprising because I thought maybe they would just stick with Thomas Nito. They are looking for a backup catcher, maybe someone who could be a little bit more defensive-minded, and they're looking to improve the defense, specifically in center field. Now, some thought improving the defense would mean going after a big free agent like Yasmani Grandel, a guy that reportedly they went after a year ago, and, and maybe trade Wilson Ramos potentially for some bullpen help, and, and, and that would be a way. And that was certainly an intriguing way. But the more I looked at it, and now you saw what Grandel got with the four years and $73 million, um, the Mets would be going out and again taking on a risky contract there at a, with a player going into their mid to late 30s that uh, similar to what you see with Cespedes, although that's not, I would call it a risky contract, you know, because of the length wasn't tremendously long, but... Be that as it may, 
Um, it's a contract that uh, they certainly regret a little bit right now. And a lot of times these contracts that look good right now are not going to look good two, three, four years down the road and then have a negative impact on the team where, again, when he came in, and, and this is the goal, is to win now, win in the future, not tank now, win in the future, not try to win now, and maybe we'll win in the future. He wants to win now. He wants to win in the future. But that means being a little bit more balanced in how you approach different facets of your team and your organization. So that's where I start because I'm not sold, and there's been a lot of rumors, and I think this plays into the Mets improving the bullpen and how they're going to improve the bullpen and potentially maybe what they do in center field. Because as we'll get to that later, there's some rumors about maybe the Mets improving there via the trade market. I'm not sold that Zach Wheeler's completely a goner. Now, I know what Andy Martino is saying. He's basically saying he's a goner, and I trust Martino of SNY's reporting a lot because I think he's the closest to having some kind of embedded source, whoever that may be, whether it's the the owner or someone within Brody or Brody himself, you know, someone within Brody's cabinet, whatever you may call it. Uh, you know, Martino seems to have a, a really good feel of things, although, you know, he's even got a bit of a, a, a wall or small screen between where things are and what he knows and what have you. So I'm not convinced Zach Wheeler is 100% gone, but I think it's pretty clear how the Mets are approaching him. And that's in a way which probably annoys you guys as fans, but I actually understand it. And I think I understand it because Wheeler is less important to the Mets than maybe another team like the White Sox, who right now are the reported one of the reported teams that are the leader for Wheeler's services. The Reds uh, have been thrown out there too. Because they have DeGrom. Wheeler, we know, we went through this in prior podcasts, top 10 in analytics and war and, and, and gets you know right up there at the top of any other pitcher in the league, seven innings or more. And soft contact, uh, you know, he's among the leaders. And, and we've seen the improvement. And at times, uh, since the All-Star break in 2018, he's been every bit of uh, the pitcher that DeGrom is. But we also know the downside because we all watch him every day. The White Sox don't. The White Sox executives don't. Neither do the Reds, neither do a lot of teams. We've seen him pitch very poorly against teams like the Braves and the Yankees and the Nationals and and look very pedestrian at times. And um, you wonder, is he, he certainly is a middle of the rotation to number two type of pitcher, but with his inconsistency, you can see him drop off and he's looking for a long-term deal. That's his right. This is his one shot at a big payday. So what the Mets are saying is, and and I'm I'm guessing here, but I, I... I think we all could agree that the way I'm piecing this together really makes a ton of sense. Mets are saying, hey, this is what we value you. If you want to come back and work along this, we'll certainly be open to a long-term deal. Now, whether that deal is more Nathan Evaldi, which is three or four years, at about 20 to you know 20 so per year, 60 to $80 million, I don't know. Uh, I certainly think Evaldi and the deal that Evaldi got is where I f- certainly feel comfortable. And I do feel comfortable at about $20 million a year for Wheeler because pitchers of his elk are, are going to be getting in that range. And the Mets are saying, you got to go out. You got to see what the market is. You got to see how high this thing goes and come back to us. And he sounds like he will circle back because he does like it here and, and maybe wants to play here and see if there's uh, some common ground. And right now, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because I don't know if the market, I feel like the market may get too high where the value of Zach Wheeler and what a team wants out of him and what they're willing to pay, Zach Wheeler may be more important to a team like the White Sox or the Reds 
than perhaps he would be to the Mets. And I know you're saying, what? You know, the Mets are, are trying to win now? Well, you heard in that clip leading into the show that, and, and if MLB Network guys like Harold Reynolds and Joel Sherman are analyzing Wheeler and putting him on the same plane as Patrick Corbin and perhaps thinking to themselves with a better defense and and maybe with his elevation into a healthy, more elite part of his career, you may be getting yourself as cl- closer to DeGrom than you go 3-4 starter. They may pay. I don't think they'll give him the Corbin deal of $140 million for seven years. And if anybody does, God bless Zach Wheeler. No ill will towards him. Don't blame him for taking it. I don't care if he takes that deal from the Miami Marlins and, and is in purgatory for the next seven years of his life. He, you know, nobody should be turning down security and money like that. I'm sorry. I, I know that some of you think I'm crazy. And certainly players want to win. And certainly players don't want to be in, in baseball purgatory. And they want to be where they're happy. And and, and if, if the White Sox in Chicago and that cold weather in that city uh, is a place. And remember, I think, I think if you follow his brother on Twitter, I think he's out in that area. Indiana, maybe? I think his brother's from the Midwest. Maybe be close to his brother or his brother's family. Uh, I know there's talk about the Braves and their Liberty Media uh, ownership group wanting to spend some money now that they're feeling their oats with uh, attendance being up, the new ballpark. They got a nice young core of inexpensive positional players, maybe the Braves, and that'll draw him to his hometown. Uh, He's from Georgia. Uh, The Yankees, as always they seem in recent years, always seem to be lukewarm and play like, well, I'm the hot girl and you got to come to me. And they're probably more interested in the top end of the market uh, than Wheeler. And if you could take the financial risk, I I think Cole is the only top of the market that I take the financial risk. I would not on Strasburg. Uh, I would I would go with a Wheeler type contract before I'd go with Strasburg. But that's me. And the Yankees is not what this show is about. So uh, I think the Mets are approaching this uh, the way that you probably from a business perspective should approach it. I don't know what their value of Wheeler is. It may be so low that they're waiting for something to really get a lucky bounce and come down to them. Or it may be four years and $80 million. Maybe they don't want to go the fifth year. Maybe they want to vest some things later in the contract. And certainly, look, anybody who's a novice about pitching mechanics and what have you, Wheeler's a risk. Wheeler's a health risk, especially in years three, four, five. And you don't know what the Mets will look like uh, at that point. Uh, Pete Alonso is going to have to get paid if he continues on his trajectory. McNeil will have to get paid. Maybe J.D. Davis will have to get paid. You know, Brandon Nemo, the you know the offensive players who are cheap now are going to get expensive and maybe even more expensive than the positional uh, the pitchers at times and more long term than the pitchers at times. So what you do at Wheeler now has impact down the road, and I don't blame them for their approach. Now, would I sign Wheeler? Two, four or five years, 80 to 100 million? Yes. I think at this point, um, I would, putting it in a vacuum, not worrying about the future and the business. Um, would I sign Wheeler as my second rotation anchor behind DeGrom over Strowman and Syndergaard? And Matt, certainly Matt's, because I think Matt's is going to, unless things drastically change, he's a back end of a rotation guy. A very good back end of the rotation guy, but I think that's where he's going to settle in for the majority, if, if not the rest of his career. Uh, who has the potential to be a little bit better on certain days or certain periods and against certain types of teams. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I think if you give Wheeler the money now, it's certainly impacting Strowman and it's certainly impacting Syndergaard. 
And uh, it, it's such a, a mystery. And one of the comments I've seen Brody Van Wagenen talk about, about how they've improved the Mets and the organization, is that they're putting more into research and development and analytics. They're putting a lot more into scouting than maybe in the past. But they're also, and Brody having been on the agent side and been very close to players, understands the importance of makeup. And I don't know anything about Syndergaard's makeup other than what you read and Stroman and and Wheeler. Uh, What it seems like out of the three, the makeup of Syndergaard is the most questionable. But that doesn't mean I'm right because I don't know anything. I'm not around the guy. These guys know him. Uh, these guys, in Brody's case, his agency represented him. Uh, I've heard some things about Syndergaard that make me have a lot more concern about a long-term deal with him than Wheeler. But uh, I'm going to trust that the, this team knows where they're going. Now, granted, there is a, a budget for this year. Uh, but I don't think the budget for this year alone is going to be the determining factor about whether Zach Wheeler comes back or not, because $20 million, they'll find a way. They could backload this thing, which, you know, it's the impact down the road. The reason why I'd go, look, the Mets are trying to win now. And and I think that to go out, unless they're really going to go, and it's very possible, and I know that the fans are going to get really annoyed with me saying that they're going to go very value-driven. Brody's already said they're looking for value out there. And I'll get into that a little later, because that... That can mean a lot of things. It doesn't just mean cheap and minor league deals. It means, you know, there's a certain threshold that each player, when you start to pay a certain amount, are they any better than somebody who's cheaper and maybe, uh, you know, a little bit more short term. I don't know if spending big on the bullpen or if they were to get involved how the White Sox did in Grandal, if those are better or less risky than giving Wheeler a fifth year. Now, if Wheeler gets too high, he gets north of 20 a year by somebody. Shorter term, maybe. I think that that's a different conversation. But if he the years get to 6 or 7 or the money gets north of 20, then you know the, the conversation changes because the value changes. I think every team now, and maybe the Mets, in your opinion, and we don't know, their value where they cap certain players is lower, and, and it's lower because they don't want to play at a certain level. I think Brody's going to be about as honest coming from the agency side with ownership as possible and and let them know where this thing stands. And a lot of times we've seen this in free agency. We get to this time of the year, owners get competitive, GMs get competitive, the media likes to crown winners in November and December and January, and very often those winners mean absolutely nothing despite what the media tells you. And Wheeler may be at this point because Strasburg and Cole are un reachable he may be the next tier that cold that Strasburg and it gets wild and a team like the White Sox gets desperate maybe Jerry Reisendorf uh, wants to make a splash maybe the Twins feel an itch after getting blasted by the Yankees in the playoffs maybe the Reds see an opening in the central with the Cubs coming back to the pack and the Cardinals being exposed a little bit in the playoffs and the Brewers you know losing some of their uh, their key players maybe they see an opening they say hey let's go pitching here you know we got some we got offense here in that ballpark and what have you. And those are the intangibles that we don't know. But I do know this is that nothing's going to happen, I think, with the Mets until this Wheeler thing is played out. And the only way this Wheeler thing is played out is the Mets are not going to jump in and say, all right, let's take control. That's what we want. That's what the fans want. That's what I like. You know, I, I go back 20-something years ago when Piazza and Leiter were free agents after 1998. 
And I said, and this was talked about on talk radio back then, all throughout that summer and after Piazza had that big September and Leiter helped them down the stretch. And both were free agents. And you knew the Mets needed those guys if they were going to continue to build on any kind of winning momentum that they had uh, acquired during that 98 summer, even though things ended badly that year. You got to go, give your best offer to both those guys and say, look, and that's when I think you had two weeks before you had basically 15 days, if I remember correctly, to negotiate with players back then. So you had this moratorium where you guys just, just talked to each other. I said, make your best offer and tell them if they walk after those 15 days, after those two weeks, that offer's gone. Because now it's like, you know, the, the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. Uh, you never know. You never know. Now, Piazza probably wouldn't have mattered. He He wanted to be here. He's talked about that. With Leiter, a little bit different. You know, a guy who at that point had just started to establish himself after having so many injuries, similar to maybe Zach Wheeler. And Leiter went out to have a very, very solid career uh, with the Mets. And if Wheeler does what Leiter did, that's a very solid career. Now, that's not always an ace, but the Mets don't need an ace. The Mets need a solid number two, but they cannot pay Wheeler as an ace. And I still don't think he'll get that high. I don't think, as, as in the clip they debated, I don't think it'll go north of 100, and I don't think it'll get close to Corbin. But in this wacky world of free agency, with potential uh, labor strife in the future, it just shows you how wacky things are. There's so much uncertainty, you just never know. So let's take a quick break. When I return, let's play GM a little bit. Let's say Wheeler leaves. Let's see what happens. How are the Mets going to improve center field? How are they going to prove the bullpen? Backup catcher, now that we know that Wilson Ramos is around, you might be able to have your cake and eat it too and have a really good tandem. There's a lot of names out there. There's a very interesting rumor of a player out of the Pittsburgh area that we need to talk about and address. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Take a look. Go trade for Starling Marte. Come on, Mets. Let's go. Get this done. Here's my proposal. Uh, you look at, uh, now, again, this is three prospects. Uh, Andres Jimenez, right-handed pitcher uh, Franklin Kilome, and then infielder Mark Vientos or uh, left-handed pitcher David Peterson. So I took the top three guys roughly out, out of the mix there. You see Mauricio, Beatty, Allen. I took them off the table. That's what most teams are doing. But Starling Marte now, the deal, you look at that contract. That's pretty incredible. $11.5 million for 20 20, 12 and a half in a club option, which obviously you'd likely pick up. He's an all-star, many-time all-star, top of the lineup, impactful type guy. All right, Adam, break it down. What do you think on that? Would you do that type of deal? How would you How would you amend that deal? I like I like it. I think it's solid. You know, look, uh, Jimenez is blocked at this point with Rosario's emergence last year. He's probably not going to be the Mets shortstop. You got to give up somebody. So I like him as as the key piece there. No issues with Kilame coming off Tommy John. It's that third part. I don't love giving up Vientos. Peterson, they have such little pitching depth. It's tough to give him up either. But neither of those guys would be deal breakers for me. So, look, you got to give up something to get something. I'm on board with that type of trade. Starling Marte, as you said, Jim, he's an all-star. He's a center fielder on a very affordable contract. One thing to note, his defense was down last year. In 2018, he was an elite defender in center field. Last year, not so much, and there's not really an injury you can point to. So for him to really make an impact on the Mets, you'd like to see him get back to that 2018 level, but he's a very good fit. All right, we're back, and you guys heard the debate uh, Jim Duquette mentioned, and it's funny how Jim Duquette mentioned it on uh, SNY's Hot Stove, and then 
There's some rumors coming out that the Mets are checking in on Starling Marte from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and really, Brody talked about improving the bullpen, which we'll get to in a little bit, which I think ties into Wheeler, and improving the the defense and getting themselves a defensive mind and backup catcher. And then center field was another position, especially right hand. And I agree, they need a right-handed bat out there and maybe somebody who could play some defense. Now, I'm very comfortable with Brandon Nimmo in center. I think between the work with Beltron and positioning, and I, unless Nimmo has a bulging disc, if that disc injury is something that, and it, it's certainly something, even if without me knowing that it has to be looked at, that could be debilitating for his career, which may prevent him from being an everyday player, which may prevent him from being the player that I think he can be. He's won me over over the last couple of years. I don't know. The Mets know that medical, medical information. We don't. Um, I'm very comfortable, even though he's left-handed, going into the season with Nemo in center, Conforto in right, and then either J.D. Davis in the in the, uh, in the the outfield and thir- third base, or maybe he and Jeff McNeil split time. And and sometimes they play third depending on the pitcher, sometimes they're not. Uh, that's a whole different situation. I'm not, you know, that, that goes back to information and analytics that we're not going to have, that the front office and the research and development department is going to... Uh, be able to provide the, the Carlos Beltran on a, on a daily basis. So that's a different story. I'm very comfortable with that because I think that you could you could have a really good offensive team with that group. I know that the defense is not what you want, but I also think that you can make the defense a little bit better through work, through you know self improvement of the players, through positioning and all those other things. Not the ideal defense, but I think they can make it work. So I'm not suggesting that they need to do all out and overpay for Starling Marte. I do think the proposed deal with Andres Jimenez, Mark Vientos, um, maybe a David Peterson in there, uh, Kilome, who they acquired for Estrubal Cabrera, who's coming off Tommy John surgery. That's a deal that I sign up for. And I know some people felt, well, you're depleting the, the farm system again. Again, I keep going. You have to go, and I'm sure the Mets are doing this and saying, who are my core prospects that I don't want to trade and if that's Beatty and Allen and Josh Wolf and whoever uh, Mauricio Alvarez the catcher I mean what they know this they know this better than you or I I don't want to hear about prospect lists and baseball prospectus and what this writer says and this scout says this there's politics and and a lot of stuff that goes into making it not you're not going to take that as gospel it's fun for this show. I have respect for these guys that do it. We have these kind of guys on the show. I have no problem with any of these guys. It's foolish for any of us to know what this team is thinking because we don't know how they're evaluating these players. We don't know what they see, what they're using. So forget about that. If the Mets can get give away reasonable prospect capital and get Starling Marte and not have to give up from their big league roster, which I don't think the Pirates with Sherrington taking over, are necessarily going to be looking for a Brandon Nemo or a J.D. Davis because by the time they're good, those guys are going to get expensive. I think they're going to be looking for uh, farm capital. And, I, you know, they're probably going to try to push to get top prospects from the Mets uh, in that top one, two, or three. But I don't know if with uh, two years left, even though he's got another year of control, if the market for Marte will be that robust, especially if Mookie Betts is on the market, 
where the top teams with maybe those kind of farm systems that are the darlings of everybody will get involved. Who, who knows? It's very, it's very early into this. So here's what I like about Marte. I like the fact that he's right-handed. Defensively, Adam Fisher is right. He, uh, he took a step back defensively, but he's, but he's been an elite defender in the past. He's got power. Uh, and, and what's been impressive is that if you go all the way back to 2016, he's like one of the top 30 outfielders in all of baseball by war. His late and close numbers are really solid. So he actually hits better late and close than at other times. And I know that some of you are going to say, well, you know, and I, I just was looking at last year. I didn't go two, three, four years down uh, back. Uh, but that means something. Uh, now, we don't know, and we, we talked earlier, the Mets are looking at makeup as a big part of all this. We don't know about his makeup. And and there was a lot of issues on that Pirates team. It's been documented. Uh, you know, Clint Hurdle was basically pushed into retirement. That was a lousy clubhouse. And and that, to me, is 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 stuff that, that that's what the Mets, that's their job. That's what Brody's job is and the people in that front office. And the, and, the, and the context that he has, that's his job to figure out, is there a makeup issue? What will happen if Marte goes from Pittsburgh? Now, he's played a couple of big games in Pittsburgh over his career, but it's a market in the middle of, you know, nowhere, different media market. Coming here, is he going to elevate and embrace this? Or are you going to have a situation like we had with Edwin Diaz where there was questions about his, his makeup? I don't know. And the makeup is not necessarily that they're bad guys, but that are they built for this market? Are they built for coming into a time when the Mets are at a crazy time? There's going to be a lot of media scrutiny. There's going to be a lot of negativity. There's a lot of agendas against them. They're playing in the shadow of the Yankees. It's all these things. But what you got to like, and the value of a Carlos Beltran, whether you like the hire or not, Beltran's not brought here to you know figure out a hit and run or put a lineup out there or to be Miller Huggins when it comes to in-game managing. That's not who he is. He's there to help develop and coach and build ball players. That's what the role of this manager uh, position has uh, evolved into. Front office feels, hey, I could get you a lineup. I can crunch all the data. We don't need it. And anybody could go and sit in the dugout and go by their gut. I could play Stratomatic from home managing a team. But I can't help Starling Marte or I can't share the experiences with Starling Marte about being a center fielder coming from a small market to a big market like Carlos Beltran did because that's what he did when he came to the Mets. So... I like the deal. None of the capital given up in that uh, proposed deal bothers me. I would not start to allow them to a fringe on the big league roster like Nemo, like J.D. Davis, like McNeil. Um, here's what I would say. If you do have, and I don't know if they would do this because he's still controllable. If you do have to give up a, a better prospect, maybe get into the Matthew Allen type of, not saying just him, that type of prospect, I would look to see if they'll throw Joe Musgrove in the deal. Now, you're going to look at the numbers on the peripheral and say Joe Musgrove, not uh, overly impressive. But again, you start to look at the analytics, the uh, walk rate, the strikeout rate, the wins above replacement. Uh, he's he's top 30. He's, he's not too far from Stroman and, and Syndergaard and, and things like that. I know he was 11-12 and 12 with a 4-4 ERA. But the peripherals aren't bad. And on a good team, in a good environment, could Joe Musgrove be somebody that nicely uh, replaces Zach Wheeler? Yes, I do. I don't, again, Ben Charrington just took over the team. Uh, this is not something that I think will happen quickly. It may not even be able to happen at the winter meetings. But Pittsburgh is a team that is in transition, and it's a team, if I were the Mets and I were Brody Van Wagenen, that I would look to to see, are there opportunities to deal and import some players? 
you know, those are the kind of teams. If you remember back when Omar Manaya took over, the Marlins were in transition. He benefited from that with Carlos Delgado and Paula Duca. You know, being able to bring those guys in and and maybe take advantage a little bit of a transition because you didn't give up a ton of prospect capital to get any of those players. So I'm all for this deal, and I don't think this should be impacted by Wheeler, uh, you know, signing or not signing. But if you only have $20 million to play with, uh, it's not crazy to say it's better to get a bit of a downgrade in the fifth starter position, somebody that's as good or if not better, it's not that hard to get better than uh, Vargas and improve in center field and get a righty bat in that lineup and, and work more. Because the offense is always a healthier, more predictable way of approaching team building, I believe than sometimes the way the pitching is right now. It's a little bit harder to get the predictability of the pitching. So anyway, there will be a trade-off, and there will be some collateral damage to bringing in Starling Marte, and that could be in the form of Jeff McNeil. How does Jeff McNeil fit into all this? How does J.D. Davis fit into all this? And what version of McNeil do you want to see in 2020? We'll talk about that more right after this. I mean, basically, just try, you know, try to do the same thing. You know, I know I had a pretty good year. Um... You know, I want to be a little bit more consistent. I think I went through a little kind of slump in the middle of the year. Two different halves of the season. I think the first half, I think I hit 340 um, and not a lot of home runs. Next second half, I think I hit a lot of home runs and uh, my average down a little bit. Um, I want to be a little bit more consistent with my batting average. I want to get that back up um, where it was in the first half. And then, uh, you know, hopefully the power is there and, um, you know, just try to build on build on last year. Things are getting better. I've um, been doing, you know, physical therapy. Um, haven't been able to play in golf, which which is kind of killing me. Oh. Well, you know, I'm a huge golfer, mm-hmm. so um, that's been it's been tough for the off season. But uh, you know, it's getting better. Um, hopefully, you know, about two, two to three weeks, it should be you know full go and you know no restrictions. So you heard Jeff McNeil and what he thought about his season first half and second half, and I think this plays into any discussions about improvements because I'm very bullish on both Jeff McNeil and J.D. Davis. I'm also uh, thinking about what version of Jeff McNeil we're going to get and who is the real Jeff McNeil because he had very distinct two seasons. First off, J.D. Davis, I know the metrics on fielding and the outfield are bad, and I have more concerns actually with him at third base than I do in the outfield because of the the hitch and the throw. What I do know, and I continue to go back to this, is that I think J.D. Davis is a worker. And I've been telling you guys for the last few weeks, I've been reading books like the MVP machine and some of the types of technology and uh, activities and different ways that players are trying to work on improving their skills. And I think J.D. Davis, as an athlete, with the kind of preparation and mind that he has with the experience growing up in a progressive uh, organization like the Astros. I know you're laughing because of the whole sign stealing, but the Astros do have a lot of things about their team and their organization that are good. I think J.D. Davis is poised to be able to be one of those guys like a, uh, a Justin Turner that can improve, and I would be very careful about pigeonholing him and, and putting a stigma on him and, and not seeing him through. And I believe... The fact that Brody and Adam Gutridge specifically brought J.D. over, that he's going to get every chance to play every day, and he'll be on this roster. And I think he'll have a very good chance of being a starting third baseman. And I think maybe Jeff McNeil and J.D. will flip-flop. 
And maybe that means that Nemo, who I think very highly of, I think Brandon Nemo's a, a great offensive player, but maybe he's not an everyday player, can hit lefties as well. Maybe they see him as more of a, a fourth outfielder, 300, 350 type at-bat guy that can you know certainly play for an extended period if there's an injury. So maybe they see that. And I'm okay with that. I just am not okay with them giving up on any of these young, very affordable, very high upside players. Now, JD was a top from runs created in the second half. He was like top 15 in baseball. And believe it or not, Jeff McNeil was one of the top 10 in runs created in the first half with a very high batting average on balls in play, almost close to 400, which is very unsustainable. A lot more contact, a lot less power. And then depending on how you look at first half, second half, whether it be July 1st, like I've done, or after the All-Star break, which is technically not exactly a you know, 50% of the games. Uh, Jeff McNeil was a power hitter with a much lower batting average, in, in a lot of cases below 300. Uh, very much like Daniel Murphy. He was very Daniel Murphy-esque in the second half. And that's okay. Believe it or not, the player that was a better run creator was the player with less power in the first half. So you heard McNeil in that clip talk about where could he get to the middle. And I think the good thing about a Jeff McNeil is that he's a worker, he's self-aware, and you know he's coming off what's not a debilitating injury, but clearly the broken hand is going to cut his off-season off a little bit. But I have no doubt that a guy like that will work. I know that the batting average on balls in play is not sustainable at 387 like he was in the first half, or at least what I viewed as the first half till about June 30th. But... The player that was hitting 340, 350 was an awfully good player at the top of the lineup. And I guess you have to really say, is there a middle ground with Jeff McNeil? Or will the work they've done, I think it was to get him a little bit more upright, have a little bit more power, is that going to create a different type of player that's more middle of the order, lower batting average, higher strikeouts, to sacrifice for the power I got to think there's a way to take those two halves and maybe depending on the count, not have one approach. And I think I could see Jeff McNeil being that guy that with two strikes, it's more of a slap hitter earlier in the count because he's such an aggressive player going more for power. Or maybe even he'll look at the game situation. Like he'll be, he's a guy that comes across that he'll be smart enough to look at the game situation and say, you know what, you know, need to get on base here, need to get a hit need to start a rally, just need to make uh, a single to tie the game or to give the lead or to put the game away. And then maybe when you want to wreck a game, you get a, a you know a zone that you want to hone in on. And you know just like he did late in the year, I think he had a couple of home runs, one of them deep into the upper deck at City Field against the Diamondbacks, you know, crush it and murder it. And, um, and I, I think he's smart enough to do that. So hopefully these two halves, I think just to be one or the other, is a dangerous Jeff McNeil going forward. But a combination of both is a damn good ball player. And, you know, I don't want to see, I've heard people say, or, you know, know, fans float out, maybe members of the media, well, maybe they could trade J.D. Davis for a reliever. That's not what you want. Look, what the Mets are going to do is is they're going to try to figure out the rotation post-Wheeler, whether he's part of it or not. Wheeler will impact how they go about the market for the bullpen. And I think the Mets with the bullpen are going to look for 
you got guys like Joe Smith and Nishek and and all these guys that you look at. They already signed Chase and Shreve. And they're going to say some of these guys they're going to bring in on uh, deals, minor league deals with a, a big league big league invite to see if they can make the team like Luis Adlon. They'll have apt outs and all that stuff. There are guys they're going to come in and they're going to sign to shorter one-year deals because when they look at this bucket and they start to look at these relievers, they're all kind of the same. Like who can you get that you know is the best value that allows you to do other things for your team? It's not just about being cheap. It's about being smart and goes back to what Brody said, the best makeup. You know, who has the best makeup out of these guys? Who can play here? I think they're going to really put a lot of value into that, and that's important. And then, you know, as far as the backup catcher, I've been a big Martin Maldonado guy. He fits that defense first mode. But I was looking at Jason Castro's numbers, and as a lefty, a guy that hits righties very well, if you de- developed not a straight platoon, but a really unique, you know, matchup depending on tiredness, you know, one versus the other, who's pitching, who they need to receive, what pitcher is more comfortable with who, you could get a really good tandem, a really good results out of Wilson Ramos and Jason Castro with a righty lefty combination, uh, and I think that. Again, it goes back to what I said. This is not just about going out and signing old players. It's about can the Mets evolve as an organization and f- you know find ways to put players in the best you know position to succeed, which includes using data, using analytics to see you know what are the best matchups on a day in and day out basis. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Howie Carpin, Howie, longtime official scorer here in New York, uh, writes for New York Sports Day, has a lot to say about, you know, the Mets, Zach Wheeler, you know, Seth Lugo, would he be uh, a good piece in the rotation to uh, replace Zach Wheeler? Do they even need to go out and sign a starter? A lot of stuff to talk about, including, you know, the early free agent market, what the Mets should do. Maybe we'll get a couple of uh, official scoring stories out of Howie as well. We'll be back with Howie Carpin, New York Sports Day, right after this. You know, I think there's more information to make it easier for us to do it. I, I think that, you know, maybe more so than most clubs, we have bolstered our pro scouting department. We uh, we have a very good and consistent amateur department that, uh, that's been in place for a long time. And then we have, you know, a, an analytics and R&D department that's grown over the course of the last, uh, the last year. But I think that we're still going to trust our eyes. We're still going to value athletics. Athleticism. Um, we're we're going to put a greater emphasis on makeup that's never going to show up in a spreadsheet. But I think, Matt, specifically to your question, is we just have more information to make better decisions. But um, I think it ultimately leads us to the same place. Um, it just keeps us keeps us on our toes a little bit. Make sure uh, make sure we're reading spreadsheets more efficiently. We're back, and uh, joining me, Howie Carpin. Uh, you guys may know him from SiriusXM. He's also spent four decades in sports media in this town, MLB official scorer, New York Sports Day, nine books, has a new book coming out about the Rangers, uh, I guess later this year or early next year. And he's with us now, talk a little hot stove. Howie, uh, welcome to the program. I, I guess I'll-, I'll kick it off with this. As an official scorer for both the Mets and the Yankees, uh, for those who may be hearing you for the first time, you got any... Any story you want to share with us? An interesting official scorer story? Something that, uh, you know, kick it off here. Something interesting. 
Well, let me excuse me. Let me just say, I love that opening. <laughs> That's got to be Jane Jarvis, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's tremendous. Uh, but uh, I guess the best stories are just you, you know the the inter. I, I've been doing the job for 21 years, and the, the interaction with the players and you know the representatives of the teams is not like it used to be. Not as intense. Uh, there's an appeal system now, so they kind of do things you know away from the ballpark where they can appeal the scoring calls and then it gets uh, reviewed sometimes and then the, the ones that are really not going to be overturned get like tossed in the trash. But I had a, I had a homestand last year with Todd Frazier. I had a, I had three of the five games, I think, and there were two calls on that he was batting where I called errors on the third baseman. It was, it was similar play, so he didn't get a hit on him, and he wanted to appeal both of those and uh, – I got a little word, I could tell you from a little birdie, that he tried to get in touch with me on the second one because he had a feeling he wasn't going to win the appeal. And then he put in the appeals, and they were up. the calls were upheld, so he, he didn't get hits on those. But those are the kind of things that happen sometimes, the interaction, the stories. I get my name in the paper occasionally. So it's something you get, that comes with the territory, and uh, you deal with it. There's, there's plenty of things over the years I could tell you, but not on a podcast. Nuts! I could only I could only imagine that Howie Carpin joining us, uh, talk a little hot stove, New York Sports Day, uh, Sirius XM, also official scorer, uh, Mets and uh, and Yankees. You know, one thing, Howie, hearing you talk with replay now and the talk of electronic umpires, I should say never say never, but it would be hard to replace the official scorer. I mean, they eat away a lot of the human element at the game. We know that. I think we'll see it swing back. Uh, everyone's got to scratch their itch with technology, but you can't, I mean, I guess you could get artificial intelligence to do anything, but there is that human element that'd be really hard to replace the official score with technology. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I do. Although some people think we're artificially unintelligent when we do the job, <laughs> but uh, in, in, you know, you're right. Technology would be tough to replace, you know, even if they bring in the automated strike zone, what are they going to do with the check swings? How you, you, sure. you can't quantify that. You know, and, you know, I'm old school. You know that. So I'm not for this automated strike zone. I think because of, because of replay and because of all this technology, the umpires are being scrutinized more than ever. You know, I don't think that they're worse than they used to be. I just think the scrutiny is more intense. And, and you, you know, you're getting cameras all over the place. You're still trying to judge an imaginary zone. It's not 3D. It's not three-dimensional where you can quantify that box that they have on TV to me is a joke. And I heard a former umpire quoted saying the same thing, that the box never changes. Like for Ronald Torres, Aaron Judge, it's the same box. It goes from the catcher's mask to his shin guards on almost every hitter. So, you know, then, then the players go back, they look at that, and the, and the, the marking is out of the box – then, then they get on the umpire thinking you didn't call a strike. So people have to take that into consideration that you're still looking at it on a video screen. And, you, you know, you take the human element out of the game, you might as well have robots playing the game. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And uh, sometimes uh, you got people got to scratch their itch. Get, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. And you may get that uh, sooner rather than later. Let's, let's move to the hot stove here. So Carpin's Corner every Friday over at New York Sports Day. Um, Earlier in the program, we're talking about Zach Wheeler. Now, I'm not convinced that Zach Wheeler is gone. I think uh, certainly there's reports, incredible reports, that the Mets, when they traded for Marcus Stroman, uh, that was essentially Zach Wheeler's exit from the, the team. 
there is reports that he'll circle back. And it seems like what the Mets are doing is, hey, hey, go out there, see what your market is. They have a value they've attached to Zach Wheeler. I don't think paying for uh, uh, Patrick Corbin money is the way to go. Uh, I am comfortable between four and five years, 80 to $100 million. And I guess the question is, if you sign Zach Wheeler long term, you're making the decision that he'll be the Robin to DeGrom's Batman. And then eventually your Syndergaard and your Stroman will, will probably become a little bit expensive and risky to keep on. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, what do you see with the whole Zach Wheeler situation? No, those are all fair points. But I, I, see, a, I see a strong market for Wheeler here, unlike last year. I think he timed it perfectly because I think the market's going to be different this time around. I think somebody's, you know, you're going to get some spenders. Certainly the Phillies want to spend. The White Sox look like they're spending money. You know, it's funny. They just signed Yasmani Grandal, and they already had a decent catcher on their roster, which leaves you scratching their head because some of the reasons they signed him, as opposed to James McCann, who is now available, by the way. You know, so I think the White Sox are in on the Wheeler thing. And I, I, I wouldn't count out the Padres here either. I don't think they, they, they feel they can get a Gary Cole. I think they would go for Wheeler as like an alternative there for the, what they're trying to do. But, but you're right. I mean, Syndergaard, let's face it, if he reaches his, his ceiling, he's going to be expensive, you know, and you hope that happens because that's going to make them a real good team with DeGrom. But you're right. I mean, eventually they would have to pay up with him, but they don't yet, and I don't, I don't anticipate them trading him. But Wheeler could come back, but I think there's going to be a lot of competition for him. Howie Carpin, uh, SiriusXM, New York Sports Day. You can check him out at New York Sports Day, Carpin's Corner, every Friday afternoon, nysportsday.com. Now, you had mentioned in your last column the Mets were not in on Yasmani Grandel, who you just me uh, mentioned. Uh, the Mets have talked about, Brody Van Wagen has talked about improving the defense. And in the open, I talked about, well, if you're going to improve the defense, you can bring in a defensive uh, catcher. Uh, I like a guy like uh, Martin Maldonado. Uh, Jason Castro's out there, and actually, Jason Castro is a lefty batter. Uh, might right. you know complement Wilson Ramos in a unique way. Uh, and then there's Starling Marte, which would be an expensive package. You know, uh, Andres Jimenez, is, his name has come up, and, and Jim Duke right. speculated on the Mets. You know, maybe taking their you know four, five, six, seven, eight, those kind of you know level prospects from you know four to ten on the top prospect list to get Marte. Uh, you know, it's an interesting move, but it does have impact. I mean, it has impact because now, you know, J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil will have to move around the, the diamond. Uh, there was some talk on Twitter earlier today. How you know, do you put Robinson Cano in that scenario off the bench? I mean, do you do you like Marte? Uh, it also puts uh, Nimmo on the bench, and I like Brandon Nimmo. Give me your thoughts on the Mets going that direction. Well, I'll start with Nimmo. I think, to be honest with you, I think he's a fourth outfielder. I, and I don't think he's a really solid, great center fielder. He's okay. You know, they have a need there. I mean, it's it's obvious. And they don't want to go to that route of just bringing in a defensive guy who doesn't really hit. Because there's a guy out there like that on Tampa Bay, Kevin Kiermeyer. He, he'd be available. But he's a guy who doesn't hit either. Marte, at least, is, has, has an offensive presence. And he, I think they would have control of two years with him if they did trade for him. And it would take a package some, somewhat like that. I mean, they're in, they're in a bind here. To me, their outfield's in flux. You, you don't know what, what's going to be with Juanis Cespedes. You know, he's a mystery. He could, could come back. That'd be a bonus. Yeah, that would push J.D. Davis out of the mix, certainly. But he's not, unfortunately, he's not a center fielder. I know he, I, I liked the, the trade when it was made last year. He was just being blocked by Alex Bregman. So that was a good deal for the Mets, and I, I wrote it in my column at the time, and certainly he had a pretty good year offensively. If they could find a spot for him, you know, 
it, it's almost like Cano. The Cano deal has almost created a log jam for them because McNeil's a second baseman. I don't even know if he's really that great at third. We haven't really seen him at third a whole lot. I'm not sure about his arm over there, and certainly as bad as valuable you want him in the lineup. You know, Marte would be a nice pickup. I mean, it would solve a lot of problems. Keep Conforto out of – Conforto can't play center field. He wear down. He's not great. He doesn't get a great jump on it with that much space. So, yeah, Marte would be a nice pickup, but they're going to have to give to get. I don't think, you know, they're going to trade a whole package of top prospects. But, again, you have them under control. It's going to take a good package to land them. And J.D. Davis, I think many don't realize in the second half how good he was. If you look at some of the advanced metrics like runs created, I mean, he's top 10, top 15 in all of baseball. And even McNeil of the second half, and I was talking about that earlier, who was more of a power hitter, uh, you know, still was a, a really good offensive player. And it's it's interesting because he mentioned on, on uh, MLB XM radio about he was a, you know an average hitter in the first, meaning the high average. And then he was a power hitter in the second half. You know, which version he'd like to be somewhere in the middle, which version is better because you got to see two different players there. So it'll be interesting to see what version of McNeil you get. But J.D. Davis and McNeil, I, I don't know if everyone, especially with J.D. Davis, they understand how good they are and, and how good offensively they are and the impact of where they play. Uh, you know, that I don't know if it'll hurt their their offense, but, you know, certainly I, I don't think everybody's appreciating what J.D. Davis brought to the, the club last year. This may sound like blasphemy, but you may have to use Davis in a deal because you you, you really you may not have a spot for him. And while, and while his value's up, maybe you strike while the iron's hot. I agree with I you know you're, I agree with you on McNeil. There's got to be a balance there because if he starts swinging for the homers, if you notice he hits a lot of low you know typical lefty. He doesn't really hit a high ball for a home run. He hits a lot of balls you know waist down for homers. So he's trying to launch. The, the, the pitchers are going to pitch him upstairs a lot, and he's got to lay off that high fastball. That's what they do after a while. That's why this launch angle thing is really not that great. I thought it, it, it screwed up Conforto a couple of years ago when he was struggling, when he came back from, from his injury. I thought they, they changed his launch angle. I thought they were screwing him up because the pitchers were abusing him upstairs. So, you can you know, if McNeil can create that balance, he's going to be a very dangerous hitter. He already is. He's a tough ad anyway. And J.D. Davis gave you some, you're right, he gave you some great at-bats in the second half, especially down the stretch. And, you know, he really made the pitchers work, and then he ended up, you know, getting a hit off those long at-bats, which was impressive. But, you know, again, you know, where's his position? They're, they're in an unfortunate situation that they, don't, they actually don't have the designated hitter because that's how their roster is built right now. Yeah, absolutely. Howie Carpin uh, with me at Howie Carpin on Twitter, New York Sports Day, uh, Sirius XM. A couple of things, Howie, before we wrap up. Uh, Seth Lugo. So let's say Wheeler exits. There, I, I like Seth Lugo. I mean, he's got multiple pitches, four or five pitches. I know he's got the torn UCL. I thought putting him back in the rotation because of what you saw at the end of the year, where he really couldn't go back to back. And, and as a, an elite reliever, I need you four out of six days or four out of six games, or three out of five. I, I can't have a game, two games off, a game, you know, two out of five, three out of six, not enough. Um, and, and I thought just logically the UCL, would, with some preparation of every five days, would be better served that way. Now, the Mets aren't concerned about the injury. There's been some reports that he actually felt the bullpen was better for him than the rotation, which I guess less bullets – uh, you know, shorter span of time. I, I question that with getting hot and, and all that stuff. But uh, if Wheeler leaves, some feel that 
Lugo could be a number three, and I would like Lugo to get the, the chance before they even go and get a Tanner Roark or a Rick Porcello or somebody like that, uh, because I think Lugo has a lot of upside. Do you agree? Because that will also then translate to them needing to upgrade the bullpen, which is not going to be easy, but you know, obviously it's a situation you're in if Wheeler departs. You sound like you've been talking to me because I totally agree on every point. I mean, the fact that he can't go back to back and give you those chunks where he's got to work, you know, in a certain amount in a certain time period, to me eliminates him from the bullpen. Now, I know their bullpen was a weakness, and I know if they take him out, but, if you know, people are assuming that they take him out and they don't do anything. Yeah, then, then you're going to be in trouble. But they got to, they're going to have to build that up anyway. And I agree with you. The fact that he can't go back to back is huge. I mean, that, you're a bullpen guy, and he, he has to get up in the pen. You know, who knows how many times they get him up a couple of times. That puts pressure on your arm. You know, that, that time you have to warm up. At least as a starter, you warm up once. You get your game in. You hope that, you know, he. I think he has the stuff to get through lineups three times. I'm not sold on these numbers all the time. I mean, you gotta, you got to have a feel. you got to look. You got to see what's going on in a game because every game takes on a different identity. That's what makes the sport unique. So sometimes you just have to throw away the data and, and go by your gut. And to me, you know, the smart move baseball wise is to put him in the rotation and then work on getting some other arms in your pen. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Hey, to wrap up here, Howie, here's something interesting. So earlier this week, Eduardo Perez and Steve Phillips were playing a little game on uh, Sirius XM about, you know, MLB wishes and, and would you trade this for that? And it basically changes team's history. So here's an interesting Mets one, and I want to get your take. So the one, and it okay. was interesting because uh, Phillips would be involved in this, and, cool. uh, and he, he took an interesting take on this. So if the Mets would trade off the career of David Wright, meaning they never would have been able to draft them, and they would have signed Mike Hampton, but they also would have gotten the 2000 World Series, would you take that trade off? Because I say right away, win the 2000 World Series, even if it means you got to sign Hampton and lose the career of Wright, would change the dynamic of the team. And beating the Yankees in that World Series would change the franchise, maybe both. And as much as I love David Wright, David Wright, 06 to 08, great player. After that, not so much. It's not an easy decision, especially for those who love David Wright. But I wanted to get your take on the way out here as, uh, as we wrap up the segment and your thoughts. All right, well, two things. One, David Wright's a friend, but that has nothing to do with it. And uh, the other thing is I grew up a Yankee fan. So if I'm a Mets fan, I take that, you know, especially, you know, if they were beating somebody else in the World Series, I would, yeah, I would take it, but I wouldn't be as, start, I wouldn't be as adamant about it if I was a Mets fan. Because beating, look, let's face it, beating the Yankees would have been a real big deal for the franchise, especially in the first World Series matchup. So, yeah, if I was a Mets fan, I would take that. And I'll tell you, there was another one they said about not signing Mark Teixeira, Yankees not winning in 09 by getting Mike Trout. I would take that one too. I'd give up the World Series. And the Yankees, it's easier to give a World Series than anybody else and get Mike Trout. So that was another interesting one they threw out there. <laughs> that one I have to think about a little bit. Now I'll give it up the World Series. Got to try to throw that one out there. Well, listen, so you got a book coming out. You always have your first Rangers book with uh, Mark Roseman and you uh, obviously nine other books um, about the Rangers. I know one about uh, Kiner's corner, Ralph Kiner, G give the listeners a plug here. Uh, some of your work, obviously there's different types of fans listening to the program than just Mets fans. They may be, you know, Rangers fans, Islanders fans, what have you, but 
uh, give them a feel of what they can get out of your out of your work and the book coming out and anything else you want them to know about. Well, you gave me a nice plug on Carpenter's Corner. That's a, that's kind of an off-season column I write on Fridays. During the season, I'm kind of tied up, so I really can't get to it every week. But in the off-season, I put out something on Friday, you know, with my thoughts and, and certain things I hear. Like, you know, I had a piece a couple of weeks ago that really didn't gain any traction, but the Mets made a, made a pitch at A.J. Hinch, you know. So and that apparently they were trying to make a move for him before they, they got Beltron. So... But the Astros, uh, you know, would have took a trade because he was under contract. And the Astros wouldn't allow them to talk to him at all and then, then just rebuff the idea totally. But, uh, you know, I, I did write a Met book called 162-0, Imagine a Perfect Season. That was a lot of fun. We basically, I basically found, you know, a game for every calendar date throughout their history. It could be, could be September 20th, 1972, and then it would be September 21st, 1975. A win on every date during the calendar season. There were a lot of great highlights there, and you know they've had some memorable regular season moments. So that was great. And uh, I cover hockey during the season, baseball and hockey. I cover a lot, and I'm on Sirius XM doing updates, and occasionally uh, the host let me uh, get my opinions out. So I've had a nice career, 40 years, and hopefully can keep it going. We'll see you at the ballpark scoring next year for sure, right? I hope so, unless they get rid of me. <laughs> I've been I've been fooling well, them for twenty one. Hopefully, Todd Frazier has nothing to say about it. All right, no, I'm just joking. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Howie, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, appreciate the time here on a Sunday. Be well. Let's do it again. And happy Thanksgiving. All right, my friend. Anytime, buddy. Anytime. That's it. That's Howie Carpin, Sirius XM at Howie Carpin on Twitter. New York Sports Day, Carpenter's Corner. So that's interesting. The wrap up. When I come back, we'll we'll give final thoughts. You got to give up the career of David Wright in exchange for the 2000 World Series. Mike Hampton's contract after no David Wright. Uh, I think it's a no brainer. Wright, 06 to 08. It's certainly a player that uh, it would hurt. But the right after 08, as much as and I love David Wright, nothing against him. Uh, that World Series would mean a lot. Maybe you don't have 06. Maybe there's a uh, you know, no Beltron, I mean, a lot of things change if the Mets win that World Series. Uh, but to me, that World Series would have been worth the price of admission. And I think most Mets fans would agree. Uh, like to hear your thoughts. Let's take a quick break. Wrap up. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I thought Harry Carpin was really good on that segment. Appreciate him joining us. New voice to the show. We're always trying to get some new voices. And I threw a little curveball to him at the end, and I wanted to wrap up with that. And this is going to be really quick because I got I to gotta get out here. But Steve Phillips and Eduardo Perez had a fun debate, which was like an MLB wish on the show earlier this week. And they were going through different teams. Like if, you know, if the Yankees gave up the 2009 World Series and didn't sign Mark Teixeira and then the 
they got Mike Trout because that's who they wanted to draft and who was drafted by the Angels ahead. Um, would it have, you know, would you do that trade off as a Yankees fan? And the one they did for the Mets was an interesting one. So, would you give up David Wright and David Wright's career for signing Mike Hampton? And winning the World Series in either 2000 or 2001. And I think 2000. So if the Mets won the... Would you say Mets sign Mike Hampton, win the World Series in 2000, give up David Wright? Would you sign up for that now and never have David Wright ever take the field for the Mets? Who knows who he goes on to play for? Would you sign up for that now? And I said absolutely. Absolutely because beating the Yankees in 2000 changes the dynamic in this area. A thousand percent. Uh, the history, of course, the history in baseball in this town is is different. The 2000 Mets are probably lauded on a higher level than maybe the 86 Mets for doing that. Mike Hampton maybe doesn't go to Colorado, and I think for him, not pitching in that environment, he had injury issues, and and the back half of that contract would have been disastrous. But if you look about his numbers when he went to Atlanta, it was pretty solid in Atlanta before he got hurt. I think not going to Colorado, getting paid a little bit less. I think the Mets offer was a bit little over $100 million at that point. I think the Rockies blew him away with like $130, $140 million, whatever it was. Uh, I think he pitches solidly for the Mets. Uh, I think the Mets are maybe a little bit more competitive the following year, although there was, get, there was some age on the offensive side of the roster, so an inevitable decline would have happened. Alfonso got hurt, all that stuff. But I think things are way different. And I sign up. And you guys, I'd like to hear from you. Email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And tell me if you agree with me on that. Maybe we'll get into this debate a little bit more after the Thanksgiving holiday. But I threw it at Howie Carpin. You heard Howie's response. I give you mine. I want to hear from you. MikeSilva, M-I-K-E. S-I-L as in Larry, V as in Victor, A as in Apple, that old way, at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, and I'd like to hear from you. Hey, want to thank everybody for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we will, I don't think we'll be having a podcast over the holiday weekend unless something drastically changes, so stay tuned for the next podcast as we uh, have a couple of weeks before the winter meeting, so by the time we, we talk again, I think the hot stove will heat it up. Of course, if there's big news, big signings, I will be popping in, so no fears there, but the plan is for this to keep you through the holidays and then some. So uh, have a good turkey day. Enjoy the day with your family. Be well. Continue to listen to this podcast all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. And again, I want to hear your thoughts, whether it be about the Mike Hampton, David Wright comment, or others at Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Be well. Talk to you soon. Take care.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.